Cause sometimes I be right Hello Welcome back family For those of you joining me for the first time Welcome to the show This is Sometimes I Be Right Possibly the greatest sports and entertainment podcast that exists Sounds crazy right? Sounds crazy for me Someone who's only, this is now episode 5 To make those types of claims Cause there's levels right? Sounds like I'm skipping a bunch of levels to make a statement like that. It's the theme of our show today, levels. This is Sometimes I Be Right. I'm your host, John Farris, reporting live from Trash Can Studios. As always, joined by my co-host, Wally. Say what's up, Wally. Today, I have to start by giving love. Showing my respect. Right after I recorded last week, uh, the official announcement came down that Manny Pac-Man Pacquiao was stepping away from boxing. Round of applause for Manny. What a legend. What a career. What a guy. What a fighter. What a warrior. Look, man, I I love Manny. I love Manny. And, And what I love most about Manny Pacquiao as a fighter... Well, he just fought everybody. He fought whoever, whenever, wherever, didn't matter. You very rarely had a situation where Manny was, where a fight didn't happen because the money wasn't right, because the opponent wanted too big of a split, because this promoter couldn't do that, that, this or that. Like, there wasn't, it was like, Manny, fight this. You want to fight this guy? Yeah, I'll fight this guy. Go ahead. Make it happen. And they made it happen. Even though I'm sure. Him being the A-side behind the scenes, there had to be negotiation points and times that there were hiccups and holdups and demands that he had that other fighters didn't want to get into. Yeah, of course, those existed, I'm sure. But you, it never seemed to stop the fight from happening. I mean, this guy fought seemingly everybody. And anytime he fought, man, he brought it. He never danced around, avoided somebody. He was he mixed it up right in there. Coming at you, don't punch you from angles, doing things we've we've never seen. Look, man. By now I'm sure you guys have all heard everyone in sports, everyone in general give their take. It's been a week. Again, I record once a week, so kind of the nature of the beast. I might have to be the last one to give my opinion. Seems like forever ago that the announcement came down, but it was just a week. A week ago today. It's wild. So Manny, I mean, let's start just by saying eight division world champion. Eight different weight classes. The only the only boxer in history to ever do that. Only one. I don't think it'll ever happen again. I don't think the sport now has anyone that's that ambitious. And I think that, that says a lot about Manny and who he is and who he was as a fighter. And I think he just loved fighting, loved boxing, loved competing on that high level, pushing himself, testing himself against the best. Because think about it, in a world where now it seems to be money is king. 
You got guys struggling just to cut weight, to stay in a certain you know, weight class for the money fights or the safer fights to protect the perfect record to hopefully set up that one big life-changing money fight. And Manny kind of went against all that. Manny was like, why would, you, why would you move up and fight these bigger guys? No, stay down here, dominate down here, and, and be happy. And he, no, I got a challenge. I got to move up. So he started at 112, won the title at 112. We didn't start at 112, but he won first championship at 112 pounds. Then 122, 126, 130, 135, 140, 147, and 154. This is a guy who I believe started his career fighting at 106. And then move all the way up to fighting 154 pounds and winning a title. Now you got to understand. Manny was fighting at 154, but he wasn't making 154 pounds. He was always coming in a little lighter. He's a small guy, 5'5 five, five and a half, 5'6 on a great day. And there's guys like when Canelo was fighting at 154, he was walking around 180, dropping weight, and then hydrating back up to 175, 180 for the fight. That's the guys that this, this guy's fighting. That's who Manny was deciding, I'm going to move up and wait and fight those guys. Guys who are naturally bigger than me, who walk around every day much, much bigger than me. And he did it. And not only did he do it, but he was walking through guys. He was, he was dominating on his way up through the weight divisions. He was dominating so, so dramatically that he got accused of using steroids. Yeah. Even now, I'm sure, when you hear Manny Pacquiao and Legacy, you think steroid allegations, Right? But that's what they were, allegations. There was never any real reason to think he was on steroids. He never had, never failed a drug test. Never refused a mandatory test, blood test, or otherwise. Never was associated with someone or had someone in camp who was known for using steroids or giving steroids to their fighters. None of that. Clean record. But... When you start out at 106 pounds and you move all the way up to 154 and you have power and you're knocking guys out, you're coming up in weight. Because normally, when you move up in weight, your power doesn't really come with you because those guys at the bigger weight classes are used to being hit by bigger guys. So it's very rare that the 5'6 guy who weighs 145 pounds is going to hit with the power of a 168 pounder. So if you're used to fighting 154 pounds, you're fighting guys between 154 and 180, right? That's what they walk with. They're bigger guys. You're used to getting hit by bigger guys, harder punchers. So this little guy coming up should be no problem for you. And that's what usually happens with guys. Some guys do carry their power. Some guys, it kind of evens out and says, oh, okay, at the lower weights, you're a monster. Get up and wait. Your power doesn't kind of come with you. Pacquiao's power came with him. And seemingly, he got stronger. Seemingly like, oh no, he's, he's improved so much. His, he's going up levels. It doesn't make sense. And so he got accused. Oh, he must be on steroids. He must be on the juice. 
And so, unfortunately, that's kind of just was thrown out there. And and people took to it. And say what you want, man. I, I know that they fought eventually in 2015. But the Manny Pacquiao versus Floyd Mayweather debate from about 2008 till about 2015 really, man, it, it really hurt Pacquiao's legacy and the, and the way we view him. And I think... I think too often now, it gets he gets they get lumped in together, or Manny gets lumped in with Floyd because Floyd is like a whole tornado that, <clears throat> excuse me, sucks everything in to the vortex and it becomes about him. He's he's that polarizing. He's that <laughs> he's that polarizing. He's that massive that like he's the it guy, right? In 2009, was right in the pocket where they needed to fight. It needed to happen. Pacquiao was at his all-time. He was at his apex. Mayweather was at his apex. These were two guys squarely in their prime. And they needed to clash, and it didn't happen. And it didn't happen, depending on who you are, depending on what you believe, either A, Mayweather was being very you know, strategic, Mayweather is a guy who was known for taking the right fight at the right time. You know, letting a guy get an, an extra fight. Yeah, one more tough fight in there before I, I sneak in there. He was very strategic about winning for guys. So his resume is full of big names. But dig a little deeper and you see when he fought them, ah, leaves a lot to be desired. So that's A. Or B... He wanted, he wanted Pacquiao to submit to blood testing. Now, this blood testing wasn't through the athletic commission. This blood testing wasn't the mandatory blood testing. He, May, Mayweather was asking for additional blood testing. And Pacquiao said no. Now remember, these are the two biggest fighters in the sport at the time. Mayweather is the A-side, but slightly He's the undefeated name. He's the big money guy. But if you talk about fan support and interest, Pacquiao was the guy at that moment. 2009, between 2009 and 2011, Pacquiao was the guy. He was the one driving the conversation between who's, they, he needs to fight Mayweather. It wasn't because Mayweather, it was because people thought this guy Pacquiao is it. This guy, he could beat Mayweather. And that was driving the conversation. So Mayweather, yes, was the A-side. I acknowledge that, but barely. Not enough to where he could be demanding extra blood tests. As a fighter, Manny was right to say, no, no, I'm not doing that. What for? Are you also submitting to extra blood tests? No, I'm not doing it. No, this is stupid. I'll do all the drug testing. I'll do all the testing that the Athletic Commission requires Never run, run, run from that. Never hid from that. I'll, I'll do that. I'm not doing this extra stuff for you. No. And so the fight didn't happen. Mayweather fans ran with the narrative that his team was kind of putting out there. of If this guy's clean, why is he turning down these tests? Why is he refusing to get tested? He's refusing blood tests. So if you're a fan, if you're a casual fan... 
you hear, oh, we think this guy might be cheating. We ask for blood testing. He says, no, he's not, he's not willing to submit to the blood test. Something's going on, right? But what you're not, what you're not being told is we want extra blood tests. We want off, like, essentially off the record. Like, here's what's required by the Athletic Commission. We want more than that. We want extra. We want you to give blood to our doctor when we demand it. Pacquiao said no. As he should. But I think that debate, that question mark, that fight, that fervor, that that need for that that we needed to see and the way Mayweather handled it, it, it took Manny away from being just considered a great fighter of the era to being looked at in, in direct comparison to Mayweather. And that's unfortunate because Pacquiao's great. And Max Kellerman said it best, if you ask who had the better career, it's Manny. Who had the more impressive resume? It's Manny. But they fought in 2015. Manny was a little older. Manny, his athletic ability, his skills kind of diminished more than Mayweather's did at the time. And Mayweather won the fight. And I'll even say, I listen, Mayweather is the, the best fighter of, of my generation. Of my lifetime, he's the best fighter. And he'll probably be that. I don't think anyone will do what he was able to do. This guy was unbelievable. But in 2009, 2010, zero doubt in my mind Manny Pacquiao beats Floyd Mayweather. I think Manny was just... Hand speed, power, angles, movement, aggression. Just a different level. A different level. So who was he fighting during that time period? Well, he knocked out Ricky Hatton. He was a young champ. Good fighter. Look up his resume. Good fighter. Miguel Cotto knocked him out. Walked through him like it was it was bad. Then he fought Margarito. Who, if you don't, just Google. Just Google. Do yourself a favor. Google the face-off between Margarito and Pacquiao. Look at the size difference. Watch the fight. Look at the just the size difference between those two humans. And then, and then watch the fight and see how Pacquiao just beat him senselessly. For 12 rounds, at points during the fight, looking at the ref saying, Hey, man, you going to stop this? Showing mercy, he was beating this guy so bad. Just look at it. And then he beat Shane Mosley. The next logical step is Mayweather, but the fight didn't happen. And because of that, and the way Mayweather talked about it, and his camp put it out, and his fans who were just rabid in their support of Mayweather, it just turned Pacquiao into like this, yeah, he's good, but... So when they did fight in 2015, instead of being a celebration of these two great fighters finally coming together, watching great versus great, it turned into whoever lost was going to be considered a bum. Was going to be considered, oh, he's not that good. He was only good compared to those guys, but he ain't great. And that's wrong because Pacquiao is great. Any boxing fan will tell you Pacquiao is great. He was great for the sport. He electrified crowds he electrified fans he was always there to fight win or lose always humble 
Always a great dude. Always a, a fun interview. Never had to to trash talk and 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 make all these big wow claims to sell the fight. Sold the fight strictly based on his boxing ability. That's why I love Manny. Because Mayweather changed the promotion game of how you promote a fight. And now everyone since then has tried to follow the same model. That's how you get guys like, surprise, Jake Paul. Trying to follow that same model. Talk trash, be big and bold, wear a bunch of jewelry, flash a bunch of money, say, well, you're going to do this, 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 and this. Be the bad guy. Because some people are going to love that. And they're going to watch you and support you. And some people are going to hate it so much that they're going to watch and just to see you lose. And either way, they're all watching. They're all buying. Your pockets are getting fatter. That was the new model. People saw Floyd get filthy rich off of it. And said, oh, we're going to take that model. The problem was Floyd needed to win every time in order to be able to keep up that promotion. Because if you look at Adrian Broner, once you start losing and then you talk that way, you lose your supporters. Because they're like, oh, God, uh, dude, you talk like this and then you end up losing. I can't I can't really back you that hard. You know, you're so trash. And then the people that hate you already saw you lose. So there's no interest in watching you lose again. We don't care if you go in here and you lose like I already saw it. The truth is out on you. You ain't no good. We see it. We know. But Manny sold fights a lot like Canelo where it was based on his ability. You wanted to watch him fight. Taking on all challengers, fighting the best of the best, whoever's willing to come, let's do this. This guy's last fight was supposed to be against Errol Spence Jr. There's no reason in the world 5'6", 42-year-old Manny Pacquiao should be fighting a young, massive fighter like Errol Spence Jr. Errol Spence Jr. could fight at 160. Right? (laughs) He makes weight. He comes down to 147. Should move up to 154, probably is going to, and if not for an eye injury, that's the guy that would have been against Manny Pacquiao. At 42, Manny Pacquiao probably loses that fight. I mean, Manny Pacquiao for sure loses that fight. But he was willing to take it. Willing to take it, wanted to take it. Wanted that last challenge to say, I want to see if I could do, if I can overcome this. That's who Manny was, and that's why so many people love Manny Pacquiao. Pacquiao was on a different level. Speaking of level, levels, that's the theme of our show today. You can hear me talk a lot about how there's different levels to this, man. Different levels. So, staying with boxing, right? We have the Caleb Plant. Canelo Alvarez fight on November 6th. I'm excited for this fight. I can't wait for this fight. I love Canelo. I watch. I love watching Canelo work. But also, I am... How do I say this? Look, I like Caleb Plant. I will be honest with you and completely transparent. I am very unfamiliar. I watched him fight a couple times. D- didn't really... 
go all in on saying and judging, judging him, critiquing him. It was kind of one of those, the fight's on tonight. I'm going to watch the fight. I like boxing. Not really, don't really care who's fighting. I'm just going to watch a fight. But he, he wasn't he wasn't a wow type of guy. Very good, very skilled, very technical, has all the tools, lacks a little bit of power, but is a really good fighter. So when I when they when the talk started coming up about Canelo wanting to unify at 168 and he had to fight Caleb Plant, I immediately looked up who's Caleb Plant. Oh, I've seen this guy fight before. You start watching a little closer. You start checking out a couple things. You start watching other boxers' opinions on Caleb Plant. You know, you start investigating, getting your research so you can go back and have the conversations with your friends and family about who you think is going to win and why. And and during that time, I would watch interviews from Caleb Plant, and I said, man, I love this guy's demeanor. Seemed like a quiet guy who was all about his business. Just loved fighting, was good at it. I'll fight anybody anywhere. It's cool. Like, this is what I do. But not braggadocious or big and bombastic statements. Just like a real, of the same cloth as Manny and Canelo. And I thought, oh, man, this is a guy I support. Win or lose this fight, I'm definitely going to support this guy. I like this guy. Add him to my stable of fighters, right? For some reason... In this, in this promotion with Canelo, either it's to sell the fight or he really doesn't like Canelo or something was said or done behind the scenes that just got him all riled up. But the guy seems way more animated than normal. Way more into making declarations of I'm going to hurt you, I'm going to knock you out. I'm going to do this, 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 and this, and, and much louder than normal. Like, I, I thought this guy was a quiet dude who just wanted to come fight. That's the impression I got. Now, listen, sometimes I'd be right. Not always, sometimes. So maybe in this case, I was wrong. Maybe I misjudged this guy. But what I would warn is there's levels. See, look, people talk a lot now about how Canelo is starting to come out of his shell seemingly he's starting to be a little more vocal a little more aggressive in the press conferences a little more bold right and everyone's like oh i wonder why that is he's opening up now this is great you know what it is it's when you go into a fight with somebody you either know what you can do because you've been through the fire you've experienced it you fought the best of the best you've had conflict you've had adversity that you've had to overcome and you know what your skills are you know what you're capable of or you're a guy who believes in what you can do Caleb Plant is talking about what he's going to do to Canelo because he believes that's what he can do he believes he's that good Canelo when he says to him you're not on my level or he says I'm going to hurt you. He's not saying it because he believes he can do it. He's saying it because I've been in the ring with the best fighters in the world, with some of the most dangerous punchers in the world, and I've gotten through it. I know what I can do. I know what I can do. I've been tested. The question is, is who has Caleb Plant fought? I'll wait. 
And when I say fought, I don't mean good fighters. I respect every single fighter that gets in the ring. If you get in that ring and you fight and you're willing to put it on the line, I got respect for you as a competitor. But if you're looking at resumes, there's not a single person that Caleb Plant has fought that if you put him up against Canelo Alvarez, we think anything other than Canelo Alvarez walking right through him is going to happen. There's not a single guy that Caleb Plant has fought that you would even consider beating Canelo Alvarez. Not a single one. None of them. None of them. There's a lot of guys that Canelo has fought that if, that if you matched them up right now, you would say, and Caleb Plant might have a tough night. Not that he would lose, but you would, you, it would be reasonable to ask the question. Does he beat this guy? I don't know. It's a good fight. There's not a single person that Caleb Plant has fought that would even give Canelo a good fight. We would all be like, why is he fighting this guy? And that's where you go back to, there's levels. Hey, man, you're not being disrespected because the boxing world and community is saying Canelo's got this one. There's levels. We've seen Canelo compete on a level that you haven't competed on. Doesn't mean that Caleb Plant can't come out on the 6th and win this fight. He might. Doubt it. I don't think so. I don't think so. I'm not going to make an official prediction, but you you know where I'm going. <laughs> but it's possible. It's not impossible. Because it happens in fighting all the time. Right? Somebody comes out and the underdog wins the fight. And we're like, oh my god, we didn't see that coming. So it happens. But going into the fight, there's levels. And Canelo said it best. You're not on my level. You haven't fought the level of competition to even refine your skills. I fought guys like you. I fought slick boxers. I fought fast guys. I fought guys with faster hands. I fought bigger guys. I've sm- I fought smaller guys. I fought knockout punchers. He's faced them all. So there's nothing you can bring to the table that will be brand new for him in terms of style. He's seen them all. Are you going to come forward? He's fought that. You're going to be a counterpuncher? He's fought that. You're going to be a guy that's going to dance around and just one, two, and then dance around for a while? He's fought that. You're going to be a guy that's going to try to come straight forward and try to knock him out? He's fought that. So what, like... Canelo's saying what he knows. He's able to come out of his shell now because he knows what he can do. It's not just, I believe I'm going to win. I believe I'm going to win. No, it's, I know this. This is what I know. Mayweather was talking because he knew. Mayweather wasn't going into a fight thinking, like, I believe I could beat this guy, so I'm going to say. He knew. He was good enough to say, all right, I've been in there with the best, right? I know what my skill sets are, and I know how my skills translate to all these different guys, and you're no different. I could watch you on film and understand, oh, I see what you're doing, X, Y, and Z, I can read it, easy. And that's what Canelo's doing, he's saying, I, under eight rounds, easy. Because he's watched film of Caleb Plant, he's seen the way he throws his punches, the way he moves. And he's probably saying, he's probably watching the fight, calling out the next shot, and saying, I, I, see what, I see what he's doing. I see all his punches coming. I see his little tells. Little things that Caleb Plant doesn't have yet because he doesn't have the resume 
He hasn't fought the guys in the level of competition that Canelo has. So he, has, he just hasn't reached it yet. He hasn't reached the 10,000 hours mark. That's all it is. So it's not a knock to Caleb Plant. It's just saying there's levels. Understand that you're not on that level yet. And you're trying to get to that level. You're trying to surpass the guy who is on that level. Be a little more humble. Because you talk, 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 talk. You think you're going to get this guy riled up and make a mistake. But Canelo don't care. Canelo doesn't care about public perception. For the long, most of his, until this last year, he wasn't speaking English. I don't care. He could lose the fight. He don't care that somebody's going to say he's not good anymore. That don't bother him. He loves to fight. He loves to compete. He's going to do that. You're not going to get him rattled or get him to make a mistake because you're talking crazy. Everybody's trying to do that. It's not going to work with this guy. There's levels. Make sense? Wilder Fury 3 is on Saturday. Keep sticking to the theme of levels. Tyson Fury is on a different level of boxing and skill than Deontay Wilder. Right? In the first fight, I watched it. I'm sure you have watched it too if you're a fan of boxing. And Fury won the fight. It was a draw. I can't be mad because if you're scoring it, there was two knockdowns. That throws things off a little wacky. Round here or there, you give it to Wilder. I'm not mad at it. What do you do? One guy outboxed him all the time, but he's got these two knockouts or knockdowns. I get it. I'm fine with it. But if you watch the fight, you could clearly see that Fury was better than Wilder. So when the rematch comes around, Fury says, you know what? I'm coming right at you, you bum. (laughs) <laughs> and I'm knocking you out. And even Wilder said, oh, you don't believe that, you don't believe that. Okay, and that's what he did. Walked in the ring, went right through him. Could have stopped it after three or four rounds. Corner finally stopped it after, I think, seven? Maybe in the eighth round? Right? Showed him mercy. So now you say, all right, third fight, what's different? Deontay Wilder fired his... His training staff, he's got a new trainer, he's been working, he's showing videos of different moves, looks like he's got his boxing skills that he's working on, he's working on angles, oh man, this is a different Deontay Wilder. But again, I came in here last week and told you guys, you could do all that stuff in training, you could do it in spar. you could do all that, but when you get in a real fight, and you being tested and being pushed, you're going to revert back to what you know. That's just the way it is. You're always going to go right back to what you know, what's natural to you. And Deontay Wilder didn't come from a boxing background where he's been boxing his whole life. He started late. He got a late start. Kind of lucked into it. Just, but was gifted by the gods, that right-hand power. My gosh. That power is insane. If you think Wilder is going to win this fight, the only way he wins this fight is if he knocks out Fury. Now, the tough thing for Fury is 
going 12 rounds with a guy who has that explosive power and trying to avoid that big shot for 12 rounds means you have to be on, laser-focused every second of every round. That's tough. That's exhausting. And we've seen guys crumble. Luis Luis Ortiz was dominating Wilder. But again, every second of every round, you have to be absolutely focused because if that right hand catches you, it's night-night. And he got caught both times. Both fights, Luis Ortiz was winning the fight convincingly, handedly, easily, slipped up for a second, got caught with that right hand. Night-night, game over. So Fury made it through the first one by just sheer divine intervention, right? He got knocked out and somehow woke up, came back, and seemed like he was completely unfazed. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Still one of the most remarkable things I've ever seen in boxing. And you could look at Deontay's face when he gets back up and the little smiley gives to say, I, I, I don't know what's happening. What? The confusion. The fear. The, 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 I don't even... How do you comprehend it? Going into the second fight and then getting dominated that way. What are you going to do different in the third fight? This guy is just better than you. So you have to find ways to be able to connect with that right hand. That's the ultimate goal. Fury knows it. You know it. So what do I think is going to happen? My official prediction. My heart is telling me, trust what you know. It's combat sports. Trust what you know. You've always thought, ah, everything points to this, but what if? And you go with the what if and you make the the prediction of, oh, what if I'm going to go with that? What do you know? I know that Deontay Wilder is not as good a boxer as Tyson Fury. I also know that Deontay Wilder has the great equalizer and the great eraser, that right hand. I also know that Wilder wants to knock this guy out and he's already lost. He's already lost to him. So what if he loses again? So he might go for broke. He might take more chances. He might be way more aggressive. Now, being aggressive can either get you caught, get you hurt, get you knocked out, or cause the other guy to get flustered and you could catch him with something. I think Fury wins the fight. I think Fury wins the fight convincingly. I think Wilder looks good for two, three rounds. His boxing moving a little bit, maybe even on his toes. Looks impressive, right? But I think if he tries to box with Fury, it's not going to work out in his favor. Fury is the taller guy, longer reach, better natural boxer. So while you're trying to force something, he's natural at it. He's going to win that. Frustration is going to set in for Wilder. He's going to get a little more aggressive. I mean, he's going to get caught with something. Something that causes him to slow down, be a little more hesitant. The fight looks a lot like the first fight without the big knockdown from Wilder. Fury wins by decision. And it moves on. That's my prediction.
Switching gears, man. We. Can I? I just want to touch on it for a second. I don't want to dwell in this for too long, but I do feel like I have to touch on uh, Sunday night, Tom Brady and the Bucks. And New England facing the Patriots. This this was billed as Tom Brady versus Bill Belichick. Oh, Tom Brady's first first time back. Oh, what's going to happen? This is must-watch TV. And I fell for it. I watched it. Game stunk. <laughs> really what it was was, the question has always been, is who who was responsible for the dynasty? Was it Brady or was it Belichick? Who deserves most of the credit? And the truth is, it's 50-50. Anyone who says it's anything other than 50-50 is fooling themselves. Right? Like, think about it. Think about it this way. Think about it this way. Belichick's not winning, is not dominating for that 10-year stretch, 20-year stretch even, without Brady. But Brady's also not doing that without Belichick. Because Belichick was making personnel decisions. Belichick was setting the foundation. Right? Setting the culture that they would live by, the, the rules that they would abide by. The whole Patriot way, that, that wasn't Brady. It was Belichick. That's what was established by Belichick in the front office. They needed each other. And they fit perfectly together because their temperaments, their attitudes, their focus, their goals. Like, screw everything else. We don't need to be friends. I want to win above all else. And they both had that. And they worked. They needed each other. So, for me, they needed each other. There's no way around it. There's nothing wrong with saying that. They were perfect for each other. They needed each other. 50-50 split is the way it should have been. But, and, and in that game, you saw it. Brady struggled. He had a hard time. Why? Bill's a great coach. Great defensive mind. Great game planning. Going after what people do and don't do well. He's really good at that. He showed how well he can coach. And Tom Brady showed what he's great at. Being able to overcome that. Being able to do just enough. Being able to excel beyond. Right? Like you can have a bad game and fourth quarter, Tom Brady's on. And you're like, what? where have you been this whole game? Listen, it's tough overcoming adversity. Brady's specialty. Creating a game plan. Taking advantage of a team's deficiencies. That's what Belichick is great at. They both showed their greatness. Right? Tom Brady, you don't walk away from that game thinking anything less or more of Tom Brady. And you don't walk away thinking anything more or less of Bill Belichick. They both showed their greatness in that game. Stalemate. Brady got the win, but is there anyone on this planet who thinks the Patriots are better than the Buccaneers? No. It's a team game. We say it every week. Brady didn't beat Belichick. The Buccaneers beat the Patriots. Because the Buccaneers were better than the Patriots. Right? But what you come out of that game with, and the question I had coming out of that game is, has there ever been a more perfect quarterback for a team than Mac Jones for the Patriots? Look, he is exactly what they want. (laughs) 
how did this happen? This guy is exactly in every way to a T from attitude, from look, from the way he plays, from the arm strength. Everything is exactly what they want. When you watch it, you're like, this is this, this guy fits perfectly. This guy is everything they want and more. Unbelievable. And he fell to them in the draft. They didn't have to move up. They didn't have to trade any assets. When they picked, he was right there. And they said, turn in the card. That's our guy. He got in there and they said, oh, yeah, exactly what we want. That's a marriage that's going to work. Not saying Super Bowls are in the future. Not saying the reign of dominance the same as Tom Brady. Not saying any of that. But I am saying that's exactly what they want. That's gonna. He's going to be a good quarterback for them. I don't, he might be a system quarterback. I don't know. But he fits what they want to do perfectly. It's, it amazed me. I couldn't believe it. I thought it was weird. I thought it was weird. And they were saying it going into the draft. Like, this guy is a Tom Brady type. Then I said, what? You're crazy. And then sure enough, he goes to New England and, and fits exactly what they want. Perfect fit. Perfect marriage. Good for him, man. I'm happy for him. Speaking of being happy for somebody, we need to give another round of applause, guys. Round of applause. Florida State finally won. Round of applause. Give it up for Florida State. Yup, 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 yup. <laughs> finally got a win. Ugh. Listen, full transparency, I didn't watch the whole game. Couldn't watch the entire game. Caught bits and pieces. Caught the end of the game. Uh, they needed a field goal to win it. Um, listen, I was, I was rooting for the loss. 0-5 Florida State would have been hilarious. It would have been fun. It was kind of like our new segment where we're going to predict if Florida State's going to win or lose. I picked them to lose. Sometimes I'd be right. Not all the time. Sometimes. I was wrong on this one. They got the W. Ruined my fun. No more fun at the expense of Florida State. But what I will have fun with is, look, man, one thing you need to know about me. To, as, as an Ohio State fan, two games you have to win every year, right? As a fan, you understand your team's not going to win the championship every year. Your team's not going to go to the college football playoff every year. My expectations are, hey, give me a good season, be competitive, I'll be happy as a fan. But what you have to do is you have to beat Michigan, obviously, and you have to beat Rutgers. Now, why do I hate Rutgers so much? Why do I loathe them? Why do I look at Rutgers and say, ugh? Honestly, I don't know. <laughs> Listen, I live in New Jersey. Rutgers is the Jersey team. This is the team that you would think logically I would support. I was born a mere 20 minutes away from Rutgers University. But look, I hate Rutgers. Probably because I hate... I, I don't remember what year it was. But there was a year... First of all, Rutgers has always been bad. I've never known Rutgers to be good. They had about a three-year stretch where they were solid. We're talking nine and three, ten and two, solid. Getting to a bowl game. 
for like three years when they had Ray Rice, right? At that time, there was there was a game on a Thursday night where Louisville came to town and they beat Louisville. I think Louisville was ranked number one, maybe, if I'm not mistaken. I could be wrong. I think they were ranked number one. Rutgers won, and everyone around me exploded. And the talk became, Rutgers is really good. Rutgers is good. Rutgers is good. Rutgers is good. And I said, ah, no way. No way. Rutgers is still Rutgers, man. They're trash. And at the time, all I knew was Rutgers has always been bad. But I live in Jersey. Everyone in Jersey went wild in supporting Rutgers. And, oh, my God, Rutgers is going to do it. They're going to win a championship. And I was like, you guys are crazy. So I guess because everyone jumped on the bandwagon so hard, it caused me to kind of go the other way and start rooting against them, actively rooting against them. Like before them, I didn't really care. But now I was like, oh, no, I need you guys to lose the very next game just to, just to shut these people up and show them. Again, there's levels. Even though they won the game, they're not on the level of elite college programs. Fast forward a couple years, I'm dating a girl. Her brother went to and currently works for Rutgers University. At the time, Rutgers was considering joining a conference, a different conference. They were in the Big East at the time, and they were thinking about moving conferences. Rumors popped up that they were going to join the Big Ten. And I remember saying, no way, can't do it. They're going to get washed in the Big Ten. They suck, right? Like, Rutgers is terrible. They don't recruit well. They don't get players. They're going to go into the Big Ten where top ten recruiting classes, and they're going to get murdered. They're going to get destroyed. He knew I was an Ohio State fan, and maybe jokingly he said that they could beat Ohio State. And I said they will never beat Ohio State. Never. I boldly said it'll never happen. Like, not a, not a single, it'll never happen. They're not even close. There's levels. Fast forward a couple years later, that always stuck with me. This guy's belief that Rutgers could beat Ohio State. It bothered me. I was offended. <laughs> As a fan of Ohio State, I was offended. Like, sir, who do you think you are to say that Rutgers could even compete with Ohio State? Ugh. But I digress. So they officially joined the Big Ten. Unbelievable for me. That means every two years, Ohio State will be in New Jersey to play Rutgers. Not only do I have the opportunity to go to the game every two years to watch the Buckeyes play, but I, I can watch them beat down and destroy the beloved Rutgers of Jersey. Again, my reasons for hating Rutgers are foolish and stupid. Because just because of that comment that he made, that it offended me so much, that somebody would even think... Look, it's not even him. It's that anyone on this planet <laughs> would think and have the confidence to even say that Rutgers could play with Ohio State. So, of course, first year they play, Ohio State wins by 40-plus points. Second year, 40-plus points. Third year, 40-plus points. These games aren't close, guys. They're not close. There's never a moment in the game where you think the game is close. It's a clear difference in talent. Clear. It's like a college program playing a high school program. NFL program playing a college program. There's a clear difference in skill, speed, size, athleticism. It looks 
dangerous, quite frankly. Sometimes you think, call out the game. This game, it, They're not going to win. They're already down three scores in the first quarter. Game over. Let's just move on. Let's move on, right? But I enjoy it. I enjoy watching. I watch the whole game. I don't even change the channel. I watch every single snap, and I laugh and say, ha, oh, fools. <laughs> Do they not understand that there's levels? Ohio State is a top five recruiting class every year. Every year. Ohio State's going to be in the top 10 recruiting class every single year, probably beyond my death date. It's Ohio State. It's big boy football. Rutgers is nowhere close to them recruiting-wise. You can't compete when I have four and five stars and you have one and two stars. Your guys aren't on the same level as mine. Even if you have a great game plan, your athletes aren't better than my athletes. You don't have as many athletes as I have. I always have the advantage in every phase of the game. How can you win? But for some reason, somehow, Rutgers has gotten into this game. They got here. They got to this point. Right? And they were three and one. And Rutgers and, and Ohio State, I mean, they were also three and one. And for some reason, I still don't understand, the country as a whole seemed to think, ooh, Ohio State's having a down year. They lost one game. And it's like, oh, but against Tulsa, they didn't look as impressive. Okay, I don't really know what that means, but sure, they won, they won by 20 points. But they're not that impressive, okay. Then against Akron, they dominated Akron, but it's Akron. Akron stinks. We know that. So they got no credit. They dropped the, they dropped the spot. They went from 10 to 11. Meanwhile, Rutgers, oh, man, they played Michigan, and they played them close. They had a chance to win late in the game. They lost 20-13. to 13. Rutgers is a good team. And, hey, last year in the COVID year, they gave Ohio State some trouble, even though they were down by about 45 points, and then they scored some late touchdowns on some trick plays, made it a little closer. I think it was something like the first time they came within, like, 30 points. <laughs> It was something wild. It was like the first time that Rutgers, like that Ohio State didn't beat Rutgers by like 35 points or something crazy like that. And so I guess based on those two factors, Rutgers is 3-1. and one. They played Michigan tough. Michigan's a good team, right? Uh, no. <laughs> Keep that between us, though, because Michigan's getting love, but they ain't no good. And and Rutgers is three and one. They had some 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 spark plays last year against Ohio State. Ohio State looks like they're no good this year. They're having a down year. This is going to be a test. That's all I kept hearing. I turned on the pregame, right? And I and I kept hearing this is going to be a tough test for Ohio State. And I said, what? Wait, what? Is that a thing? Is are you you guys serious? I pull up my phone. I pull up the Bleacher Report app. Sure enough, there's conversations about getting a test against Rutgers. A test? 
Since when is Rutgers the test? For Ohio State, that's the test? And I turned to my wife and I said, they are going to beat the dog snot out of Rutgers. They are, they are going to destroy Rutgers. That's what I said before the game. There was not a doubt in my mind. There was no thought. There was no thought that if the game was going to be close, competitive, that it was going to be anything other than complete and utter domination. And sure enough, the game starts. Oh, 24-6 after the first quarter. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's over. Yeah, some test. Some test. Again, there's levels. The entire second half, Ohio State played backups on both sides of the ball. If they had left the starters in and said, we're just going to play normal, they put up approximately 83 points. <laughs> they were on pace to, to score 70-plus points in that game. And Rutgers' offense is not scoring more than the six that they got if the starters just play all the way through. But it's Ohio State. They have merch. They have bigger fish to fry. So we're not going to leave our guys out there to risk a twisted angle, pulled hammy or whatever. Take our guys out. Let the backups play. Get them some reps. In the early third quarter, they did this. At halftime, the thought was, ah, put in the backups for the second half. We got enough of a lead. Wow. Some test. And they passed the test, I guess. My question was, since when is Rutgers the measuring stick? Since when are they the bar? Since when do you put... Ohio State in the same breath as Rutgers. Rutgers? Garbage. And you know what Ohio State did right in that moment? Ohio State smacked all the sports people, all the sports media, sports critics, sports fans, anyone who had any question about if Ohio State is a good team, this is a bad year, they're going to be bad, they're going to struggle, smacked you all in the face and said, hey, wake up. We lost a game to Oregon. A game. We are still Ohio State. We are still in line to win the Big Ten. We are still in line to get to the college football playoff. This is Ohio State. You guys need to recognize that now. And they put the Big Ten on notice by saying, hey, I know Penn State's looking good, Iowa looks good, and Michigan looks good, and ooh, man, tough road. Michigan State looks good, ooh, tough road. But you know what Ohio State said? This is still Ohio State. You still got to come through us. Michigan, Penn State, Michigan State, Iowa, none of them have played a team or an offense as dynamic and talented as Ohio State. They haven't done it. Yeah, Iowa beat Iowa State, but Iowa State's not favored against Ohio State. Ohio State beats them too. 
Yeah, Penn State beat Auburn. Guess what? Auburn wouldn't be favored against Ohio State either. Ohio State beats Auburn too. So yeah, the defense could look shaky, and I agree. They give up a lot of big plays. Defense looks better lately, but they're playing garbage. Playing bad teams. So yeah, you're going to look much better. But it's still Ohio State. Still young in the season. They're still getting better. But you can see the pressure starting to come around a little bit. You can see they're starting to get some rotations. They're starting to figure out when to play zone, when to play man, how to do it. They're getting off the field on third down a little bit. You can see it starting to come together a little bit, slowly but surely. By the time they go against these great teams, or in quotes, great great teams, they're going to have it. And they put them on notice. We still here. We're still Ohio State. And Ken, has C.J. Stroud ended the debate now? Is, this, is it over? Is it, is it okay now? Is everyone now, you got to see Kyle McCord, you got to see Jack Miller. Is it okay? Can we all just say, okay, C.J. Stroud is, is the best of the three. He deserves to be the starter. We no longer have to criticize or judge if he should still play after every throw. It's He's good now, right? He's safe for you guys. I mean, look, I know the week before I said that McCord looked a lot like C.J. Stroud, and he went against Akron, so how impressed can you be? And yeah, Rutgers is trash. Do I have to say it again? Okay, I'll say it again. Rutgers is garbage. But against the garbage teams, you're supposed to look dominant. And C.J. Stroud looked dominant. Did whatever he want, wherever he want to. Unbelievable. The guy's good. Looked confident. The guys looked confident in him. The offense looked great. You got Travion Henderson back there who didn't have to play beyond the first quarter. What, he had like two series? Come on, man. This offense is legit. Michigan ain't going to be able to do nothing with that. Penn State's not going to be able to do anything with that. Iowa won't be able to do anything with that. Just saying, man. Kid's good. Sometimes I'd be right. He deserves to be the starter. So sticking, staying with football. Let's let's move on. Let's move up. Let's move up to Dallas. Let's talk about Dallas versus Carolina. First of all, there, there's really nothing. There's really nothing to say, right? Like, I'm not surprised that they beat the Panthers. I picked them to win against the Panthers. But what is surprising is is the turnovers. Like. Trayvon Diggs is just has five interceptions in four games. First of all, he's he's everywhere. Like, I don't even I He's playing fantastic, right? In terms of getting interceptions. Because let's face it, you can give up three deep balls. If you get the ball back from me, it erases those deep balls you gave up. So yeah, he gets beat sometimes. The only concern is he's a little bit of a gambler, right? So he's going to go for the interception. If you miss that, if you're a half step behind, 
split second slower. That ball is being caught, turned up field for a big touchdown. So that's the gamble you take. But I, I, what I like about it, though, at this point, is it doesn't seem like a blind gamble. It seems like he's where he needs to be based on the fact that he's studied it. And that's what I like. So everyone's getting real excited about Trayvon Diggs and, oh, my God, Dion comparisons. This guy's going to end up with 20 interceptions or whatever crazy nonsense they're talking about. He's getting an incredible amount of love, and, and it's deserved. He's, he's playing well. He, he's getting interceptions. And as a Cowboys fan, if you're a fellow Cowboys fan, you know this defense has not gotten turnovers for a decade plus. That was an issue. If we had someone that got two interceptions in a season, oh my God, give him a massive contract. So the fact that that's happening now is exciting. The defense is starting to get a little more pressure. They still don't have Tank Lawrence on the edge. He's still out. Once he comes back, you assume and you hope that it gets even better. Which means this defense, if they're getting pressure and they have guys in the secondary who are able to intercept the ball, that's going to be a good little mix. That's going to make for a good defense. And the offense, hey guys, I came in here week one and said the formula and the recipe to win, run the ball. Last week against Carolina, 34 rush attempts, 22 pass attempts, that's perfect. Do you notice how easy it is, how, how effortlessly Dak is putting up good numbers? How it seems like he's playing better than he ever has? Like, run the ball. Run the ball. Play off the rush. Show them that you can dominate running the ball. They have to crowd the box. Makes it way easier for Dak. Those weapons now have one-on-ones. CeeDee Lamb's going to win one-on-one. Amari Cooper's going to win one-on-one. Even Cedric Wilson has the ability to win one-on-one. Gallup, when he's there, wins the one-on-one. You know what they don't beat? Double teams. If you're not running the ball, we're not protecting against the rush. We got eight guys to cover your three. Hey, man, I don't like my chances with those numbers. So in short order, Cowboys look good. But I'm also weary because, I mean, let's face it, Carolina was 3-0, and but let's see where they end up. It's a good team, not a great team. Still early in the year, so it's hard to say that anybody's like the real true test. I mean, they dominated that game, though. But outside of that, they played, you know, the Eagles, the booty cheeks. <laughs> But they did get the win over my guy, Herbert. Yes. The best QB in the league. Beat up on the, on the Raiders. Didn't really beat up on the Raiders, but won against the Raiders. And what I would say is, was one of the saddest moments so far this sports year is when, is when the Chargers came out of the tunnel and got booed at home because there are so many Raiders fans. That was sad. <laughs> to be home and get booed, that's sad. That's really sad. That hurts that hurt my feelings. Okay. But look, man, what I love about Herbert is exactly what he did in that game. 
is in at no moment in that game did I feel like you could tell if they were winning or losing, if things were going well or going bad. The dude's demeanor is just flawless. The way he throws the ball is just effortless. And you know what else I noticed about him that I love? He never he he has zero athletic arrogance. Right? Like you've heard me talk about this, athletic arrogance, right? He never see he doesn't care where the ball goes. He literally seems like I'm going to throw it to wherever there's an opening. If the guy's 2 yards away and it's a 2-yard pickup, I'm going to throw it there like I, that's where the ball's got to go. That's the open guy. If the guy's streaking down the field, I'm going to launch it. That's where the open guy is. He doesn't seem to try he never seems to try to force anything, try to make the big play. He just seems like he does takes exactly what the defense gives, just does what he's supposed to, puts the ball where it's supposed to be to the open guy, regardless of where that is or how much yards that gets. If it's 4th and 13, he's not trying to get a 15-yard pass in double coverage. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, he's making the right play, doing exactly what he has to do. Live to fight another down. Unbelievable. The guy just... Listen, man, I'm probably going to catch hell for saying that he's the best quarterback in the NFL. I get it. I get it. It's a bold statement. And remember, sometimes I'd be right. (laughs) I think I'm right on this one. The guy is incredible. But on the other side of the field was another quarterback who I think is really good. Right? So Derek Carr. So, listen, for backstory, my brother is Raider Honcho. If you don't know who Raider Honcho is, look him up on YouTube. Incredibly funny guy. Uh, incredibly knowledgeable. Studies works really hard. Has a fantastic show. Has podcasts. Has like the guy is just for Raider Nation. That's the guy, right? So my brother. I'm telling you, go look up Raider Honcho on YouTube. You won't be upset. I'm not even a Raiders fan, and sometimes I watch the content, and it's just funny to me. Like, I'm telling you, you're going to love it. So him being a Raiders fan, though, before he started the YouTube channel, he would always kind of just vent. We'd always just talk about sports, and he would always talk about Derek Carr because Derek Carr was always the guy that people seemed to not be sold on. And he loved Derek Carr right from the jump. So I always had insider information to be like, oh, Derek Carr is this, 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 and this. I have the numbers run down to me. Like, he would always talk about, like, the most underappreciated quarterback in the league. So I always was able and somewhat forced to pay more attention to Derek Carr. So I've always agreed, like, Derek Carr is a really solid quarterback. He's not great. But he's good. He's a good quarterback. And I didn't understand why everybody hated him, why everybody wanted to trade him. Because I thought if you put him on a better team... Like, that's, what? what? You're going to get rid of that guy? But they were losing. Look, let me just put it out on the table. The conversation going into the game was Derek Carr's playing so much better this year. Derek Carr's finally not trying to please anybody. He's just playing the game. Derek Carr is playing like a man who's possessed or a man who's on a mission or a man who wants his respect or a man who wants his contract. No, he's not playing any different than he ever has played. You know, you want to know what's different? The Raiders were 3-0. and Because guess what? The Raiders lost that game and there ain't no talk about Derek Carr no more. 
the MVP calls, the all this and that. That's kind of quieted so far this week because they lost the game, right? Which makes me feel like, hold on, are these these analysts right? When you think about it, they can't watch all of the games beginning to end. It's not possible. Even if they get the game film, to watch all of the games beginning to end would be an incredibly difficult thing to do. Especially when it's Sunday night. I just finished watching the game. It's eleven thirty p.m. Eastern time. I got I got to be up and have a show at ten a.m. the next day. You didn't watch all the games. Hey, hey, surprise! Stephen A. Smith's not watching all the games before he starts to first take on Monday morning. So he's going to be critiquing a lot of games that he ain't see. And then comes Monday Night Football, and then Tuesday and Wednesday, Thursday, and you're prepping for the Thursday Night Game. You're not going back and watching all these games. They're not. No way. Which makes me believe, if you, start, if you notice that and you start looking at patterns, you start saying, okay, well, how are they judging these quarterbacks then? How are they judging these players They're judging these teams? Oh, I know how they're judging quarterbacks. If you win... You're good if you lose, you're not, which is why Derek Carr now is considered to be in line for MVP, having a really good year. When I promise you, his numbers are going to end up right where he's always been, right around the career averages is where he's going to end up. But if they go 14 and three, he's going to be considered to have a really good year. If they go three and 14, he's bad. The numbers don't have to change. Look, I know it seems like I'm always going against popular media. Nah, fighting against ESPN and FS1 and all these others. I'm Bleacher Report and fighting all these guys. I'm not. I watch them all. I like them all. We need it for the world to go around. But what I'm fighting against is like essentially sports cliches and these silly little these patterns and habits we get into where we argue or we talk about things and we look at it from the same viewpoint instead of just having an objective look. You're not a bad quarterback because you lose games. Because losing a football game has a lot more to do with a lot more factors than just who the quarterback is. There's a reason why Trent Dilfer won a Super Bowl and he never comes up in best quarterbacks conversation. There's a reason why Troy Aikman's numbers aren't amazing and off the wall and off the charts as some other Hall of Fame quarterbacks, but he's in the Hall of Fame. He's got three Super Bowls. And if you hate the Cowboys and you hate Troy Aikman, you're going to blame it on the fact that he only won because look at the team he had around him. But then if there's another guy that you like, you're going to support him like Eli. Oh, Eli should be a Hall of Famer based on what? He's got two Super Bowls. They won those Super Bowls because of him. No one, no other quarterback for the Giants could have won those Super Bowls. Again, not saying yay or nay, but just saying these are conversations that we have in, in normal everyday life, right? But when you turn on these sports shows, the debates go only as far as he should be a Hall of Famer because he's got two Super Bowls. He beat the Patriots twice. That's Hall of Fame worthy. Like, But, but look at the game. Ben Roethlisberger won a Super Bowl where he was garbage. What was a Super Bowl winning quarterback for a Super Bowl where he was absolute garbage. So 
So it, it can't be just wins and losses. And wins and losses can't determine whether or not you call somebody good or bad. And that's what's starting to happen. And that's the stuff that I fight against. I fight against cliches like, oh, he's, he's talented. Is he? I fight against the idea that every time LeBron has a good game, he's the greatest of all time. And when he has a bad game, oh, he's no, he, he can't be in the GOAT discussion anymore. Why are we having the GOAT discussion? Why is this person's reputation living or dying on every single play of every game? Can we enjoy it for a second? Why, after week four, are we asking the question, is Dak Prescott the MVP right now? Who the hell cares? Who cares? Is there a fan in America right now? Listen, let me know. Are you a fan in America that cares right now who the NFL MVP is? If the season ended right now, who would be the MVP? We don't give a damn because the season ain't ending right now. So I don't, that's a dumb question. Those are the things that I read. Those are the things that caused me to finally say, I'm doing this show. Sports fans, people of the world deserve to hear an opinion that is not based on a silly cliche. I think Justin Herbert is the best quarterback in the NFL. He has zero stats to prove it. There's not a single number that I can give you that would say, here's why he's the best. But I think he's the best based on skill level, based on talent. Based on if you put them in a combine-like throwing session, he's going to impress you more than everybody else. His demeanor, his intangibles, the way you see him interact with guys, his lack of arrogance athletically, his, the way he speaks, the way he talks about, the way he shows up to the interviews, all of that goes into why I think he's the best in the league. It's not because last week he had 550 yards and six touchdowns. No, that ain't got nothing to do with it. You can have a bad game and still be the best. People have bad games. Tom Brady is the greatest quarterback that ever played football. There's no more discussion. He's the best. Because if you, you've seen him drive his team down the field goal range, win the Super Bowl. You've seen him drive his team down, throw the touchdown, win the Super Bowl. You've seen him win games you've seen him in the fourth quarter two minute drill gotta get to a certain spot you've seen him get there time and time again to the point where now much like Jordan was when it's that when it's fourth quarter if he's got a minute 30 left in the game down by two you feel like they're winning the game he's the GOAT and it doesn't matter if he plays five more years and is god awful the next five years he's still the GOAT Look, I I don't mean to get charged up late in the podcast. I know. I know. We covered a lot this podcast. I'm starting to get a little charged up. Let me calm myself down. I honestly don't even know how I got here. (laughs) 
I veered off into the, into the woods, and I I, law, I don't even know what I was talking about before. I think I was talking about Derek Carr. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was talking about Derek Carr and the way that I feel like they're saying how good of a year he's having based on the fact that the Raiders were 3-0 and at the time. That's, that, that's bothersome to me. It just bothers me because it's so blatant that you guys, what you're determining, you know, like, come on, man. Just, and again, week one, I said it, you have to fill 24 hours every day. You need something to talk about. So you, you have to create these topics and ask these questions and, and, and every, every game, every play has to be, was this the greatest ever? Was this that? What does this mean? What does this do for his legacy? And it's like, man, I just wish we could, we could get out of that habit. Listen, basketball is starting soon, right? We're in the preseason right now. I'm a Knicks fan. I'm excited about the season. Trust me, I'm going to talk basketball on this show. As soon as the season starts, as soon as the regular season starts, I'm right on it. Trust me, I will be here. I will be talking about it, okay? The older I get, the more and more I love watching basketball. I have strong opinions about basketball, right? The GOAT conversation, I'm sure, will come up here. Not in the way you think, not in the way you expect, but I'll, I'll, I'll touch on it when the time comes. But knowing that that's coming up, I have to tell you, no one... I have a complicated relationship with LeBron. I love LeBron coming out of high school. I stayed up. Uh, on the night of his first game to watch him play against the Kings. I was super excited. I had school the next day, but I stayed up late to watch that whole game. Right? I was just as impressed as anyone else when he had that amazing fourth quarter in overtime against the Pistons in the playoffs. I was sitting there thinking, oh my God, no freaking way. I was watching it with my mom, and I was like amazed. I liked LeBron. I still like LeBron. As a dude, as a player, I like LeBron. What I don't like is I don't like the fans, the way they treat and talk about LeBron. Whereas you're either a believer that he's the greatest basketball player of all time or you're a hater. I don't like that every sports show has to make everything about LeBron. I don't like that LeBron goes to a team like Miami that we all talked about for the entire summer about how stacked that team was. And then they win a championship and it's LeBron won the championship. I don't like that in the finals down 3-1. LeBron averages 28 points a game. Kyrie Irving averages 27 in a game during that series. They both scored 40 plus points. Kyrie hits the game-winning three to win the finals. And the conversation still to this day is LeBron won that championship. That was the greatest accomplishment by a player coming down from 3-1. Did you not notice that Kyrie was putting in work too? Kyrie don't get no love for that? No, no, it's all LeBron. Those are the things I don't like. And so unfortunately... 
It causes me to look at him and he's the poster boy of it. He's the face of it because it's about him. So I have to kind of go against him a little bit. I don't like it, but it is what it is, man. But I again, like, because they have 24 hours to fill, it's always every day is, is he the GOAT? Is he the greatest of all time? He's the first to do this. Jordan never did this. This is it, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, man, can we just can we just enjoy it? I looked at my brother one time and said, I wish we could just sit back and watch LeBron play and just enjoy the fact that we're watching a great basketball player, that we're witnessing one of the greats. But we can't even enjoy it because you have to make such a grand opinion on it because every time, everywhere you look, all the media outlets are making these grand, great statements about it. To where every game is the greatest game that basketball players ever played. LeBron is the greatest player that's ever played. Or LeBron's the worst player. LeBron's not the GOAT. And everything gets, you know what, I'm going to just let it be. It's going to be a long basketball season. It's going to be a long football season still left. There's a long college football season left. We got a lot to talk about. And we're going to keep it going. We just getting started. Five weeks in, we're going to keep going. That's my time for today, y'all. I hope you had a good time. Hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, predictions for the week. I got Ohio State beating Maryland by 35. I got the Cowboys beating up on the Giants. And uh, my big pick of the week. Man, I'm, I'm, I'm actually taking Justin Fields and the Bears to beat the Raiders. Further complicating the conversations about Derek Carr and how good he is. They're going to they're gonna jump right off the bandwagon. Yep. Those are my picks for the week, man. Look, I, I thank you all for listening. I thank you all for joining me today. I hope you had a bunch of fun. Hope I was able to give you guys a little bit of a uh, little break from your normal day to day. You know what else? Actually, let me let me throw in one more prediction. Right? A couple weeks ago, I talked about Stafford and the love affair with Stafford. Thursday night, we got the Seahawks playing the Rams. I got the Seahawks winning that. Let's see what they think about Stafford after that. Again, man, thank you for joining me. As always, it's been a pleasure. This is Sometimes I'll Be Right. I'll be back next week.